0: This morning will be in Revelation chapter 16. Previously in Revelation chapter 15, just by way of review, we saw that John saw another great sign. He saw seven angels having the seven last plagues, and in them we learned that the wrath of God will be complete. So we saw the introduction to chapter 16 sort of, and it basically what we saw is these angels are holding these bowls, the King James called them vials, and we realized that these bowls contain plagues that will be cast out upon the earth during the last days of the tribulation. John looked into heaven, he saw a sea of glass with all the saints who had been killed during the tribulation period. And they had victory over the beast. So there's a a worship service taking place in heaven just as this is about to happen here on earth. And we read that they were singing the song of Moses and they were singing the song of the Lamb. And the song of Moses was a song of God's faithfulness. The song of the Lamb was a song of love. The temple was open. The seven angels had these seven bowls. And these bowls contained the wrath of God. And the temple was filled with smoke. As we close chapter 15, the angels... Angels were waiting to be dispatched to pour out the wrath of God on the earth. This will be the final seven plagues, the final judgment of God that will come upon the earth at the end of the tribulation period, at the end of the seven year period. This is when this will take place. Before we talk about these judgments, before we get to chapter 16, I want to point out a couple of facts about, about these upcoming judgments. Number one, these judgments come at the end of the tribulation period. Just before the return of Jesus Christ or what's been called the second advent. Remember, the rapture of the church is not the second coming of Christ. The rapture of the church is the church being taken up to meet Christ in the air. The second advent or the second coming will take place at the end of this tribulation period. So these judgments are coming at the end. These judgments that we'll see today are going to be similar to the judgments that were upon Egypt when Moses was bringing the nation Israel or the people of Israel. In the days of Moses, God sent plagues upon Egypt. It included plagues of boils, turned water to blood, and darkness. We saw that take place in Exodus, when we studied Exodus. Egypt's judgments were local, specifically for the nation Egypt. These judgments are going to be worldwide. They're going to cover the earth. These judgments will be similar to the trumpet judgments we saw previously in Revelation. The trumpet judgments were partial. A third of, a third of, a third of these judgments will be complete. These judgments will move with rapid succession. You will see as the water gets destroyed, as the things happen, it's going to happen very, very quickly as these bowls are getting poured out. They're going to move with rapid succession. Lastly, I have to tell you, I believe these judgments are literal. I don't believe they're symbolic. Some people have taken the 16th chapter of Revelation and much of the book of Revelation and they begin to claim a lot of symbolism behind it. They begin to say, well, it, it might mean this, it might mean that, it could mean this, it could mean that. If it doesn't mean what it says, how are we supposed to know what it means? You see, then why, how do we even know God wrote it if we're supposed to leave it up to interpretation of man? John's told us when he sees these things that are symbolic, but when it comes upon the, the judgments on the earth, when he says they're coming upon the earth, what does that mean? Well, if earth doesn't mean earth, what could it possibly mean? And we'll talk more about that in just a little little bit. Now, let's look at these final judgments of God, picking up in Revelation chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of wrath of the wrath of God on the earth. The time has come to pour out these bowls on the earth. Now look at the first bowl in verse 2. So the first went and he poured out his bowl upon the earth. And a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. A foul and loathsome sore. Notice first where it's poured out. It's poured out upon the earth. As I said before, those who believe the Revelation or the book of Revelation has already occurred, they have a hard time with this verse because there's nothing that's ever been poured out. There's no foul or loathsome sores that have been poured out on the earth in history. There's been loathsome sores poured out on a part of the earth, like we just talked about in Exodus, or like we just talked about with Moses in Egypt, like we see a portion of the earth. But when we read upon the earth, what are we left to interpret it as? I think we have to take it very literal, upon the earth. Just to give you an idea, some, part, some people think upon the earth means parts of the earth. They might mean it's the common people. Some people think it's the Roman Catholic clergy that they substitute there. But the point is, if it doesn't mean earth, then no one can really tell what it means. It's subject to your interpretation of it. It's got to mean, I believe, it's got to mean what it says. As a matter of fact, if it doesn't mean earth, God may well have not, not even written it. It's, it's not, it's, there's nothing holy about it. So when we come across these, I want to take them literally. Now, notice the group affected by this judgment. Because this judgment was poured out on a specific group. Those who took the mark of the beast, worshipped the beast, or even simply worshipped the image of the beast. You had a foul and loathsome sore on you. Foul and loathsome sores. What does this mean? It means illness. It means sickness. Some people believe it means boils on your body. Literally breaking out with boils. This group... This group that it falls upon, it falling upon them for a reason. Well, Rob, that's not fair. They didn't know any better. That's not really right of God. He shouldn't have done that. No, 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 no. Remember back in Revelation chapter 14, there was a warning given to the people. There was a warning. It said this in Revelation chapter 14, verse 9 and 10. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand... This is what happens. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. But... Do you see where that could be confusing for somebody? You see that where it could be So let's just pretend that you're not a believer and you don't go up in the rapture and then you begin to enter into the tribulation period and everybody else has taken the mark of the beast. Besides, we're told you're going to need it to buy and sell, so you're just going to follow along with the crowd. But there's an angel warning saying, "Hey, don't do it." Well, the angel doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm just going to do it like everybody else. The warnings of God are not meant to be taken lightly. If you're taking note, write this down. If you disregard the warnings of God found in his word, it will always bring pain to your life. If we disregard the warnings of God that are found in his word, it will always bring pain to our life. That's what sin does. That's what he's warning against, sin. It's always going to bring pain in our life. The Bible's full of warnings. It's covered in warnings. God's always saying, stay away from this. Don't go near that. Stay away from this. Stay clear of that. God doesn't want to restrict us. It's not like he wants to uh, uh, keep us from something that would be fun. It's not like he wants to keep you from something that you you shouldn't do. It's just the opposite. He wants to protect you. You see, God has set up a system for just about everything in life. God has set up a way to do marriage. For example, God says, if you'll do marriage my way, you'll have a marriage relationship that is unbelievable. But But before you get there, I want you to do some things. I'm going to warn you. I want you to stay pure. I want you to stay holy. And it'll make your marriage better. But you see, we live in a world that's fallen and we have sin. And so some of us don't do that and we don't stay pure, we don't stay holy. Here's what we need to understand. God puts these restrictions or gives us these warnings not so that we can be left out of what society wants. The world wants to pull us in a direction that is unclean, unholy, unrighteous. And tells you this is what will be fun. This is the way it will be acceptable. You'll like this better. Where we need to stand on the word of God. We need to say our good, good father says don't do that. Our good, good father says we're not supposed to look at that. Our good, good father says we're not supposed to think like that. Our good, good father says we're not supposed to interact like that. You see the point? There's a way to do things God's way. And there's a way to do things man's way. God's way, he's our good, good father. He's got a better way. Now look at the second bowl the sea turns to blood. Verse 3, the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea. It became blood as of a dead man. Every living creature in the sea died. We saw Moses turn water to blood. As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 8, we saw one third of the sea become blood and one third of the sea creatures died. It was a partial judgment. Now what's meant by sea? Some scholars believe it's just the Mediterranean Sea. But again, I think as a Bible student, we're forced to take it literally. The ocean, the sea, the waters. Notice this judgment is total, it's all inclusive. Everything left remaining in the sea died. Do you know how big that is? The, the, the sea, the oceans cover 70% of the earth. 70% of the earth. The average depth any idea what the average depth of the ocean is? The average depth 12,000 feet. That's a lot of water. That's the average death. It contains all kinds of life forms, from little tiny microscopic things to the largest animal in the ocean, which is, does anybody know? The blue whale. How big can it be? A 100 feet long, a blue whale. Can you imagine them floating to the surface dead? Phew! Don't want to live on oceanfront property then, do you? No, glad we're inland. But isn't there a part of you go, that's kind of sad, all the animals dying. I mean, I like Flipper. I like the dolphin. I like those things. Why are, why are they dying? That's not, that doesn't seem fair. Why would God do that? Listen, as Christians, we need to understand this principle. And write it down if you're taking notes. Your sin doesn't just affect you. Your sin doesn't just affect you. My sin doesn't just affect me. It affects everything and everyone around you. You see, we look at that and go, God, you're doing that. God's not doing that. Remember, when God turned the world over to man, it was perfect. Everything was cohabitating. Every There was no death. Everything was perfect in the Garden of Eden. It was perfect. It wasn't until sin came in and people began to sin. Adam brought sin into the world. Therefore, we are sinners because of Adam. By one man, sin came into the world. But by one man, righteousness came in through Jesus Christ. But I need to understand, you need to understand that sin is a tangled web that affects everybody and everything around you. Romans chapter 8 in verses 19 through 23 tells us it seemingly points to sin's effect on all of creation. It tells us that that sin is affecting creation. As a matter of fact, it tells us creation is yearning to be delivered from this bondage of sin that has occurred in the world. Creation is saying we want to be delivered. We don't want to live this way. Romans chapter 8 tells us that. Now, The third bowl comes on. The waters are going to be turned to blood. Look at verse 4. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is, who was, and who is to be. Because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets. And you have given them blood to drink. For it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. This is the complete contamination of fresh water on the earth. So how much longer do we have left? How long can mankind live without fresh water? It's, you see, when I say it's rapid succession as water is contaminated, what do we have, three days left? There's, only, there's not much time left when the, all the water is contaminated. When these judgments come, the time is going to be very short for the return of Christ. With With an ecological disaster like this, the human race can't survive very long. We can't live without water. Now notice why this is happening. Again, the angel told us, For they have shed the blood of saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. It's happening for a reason. They thirsted after blood, they massacred the saints of God, and now they have blood to drink. Remember, they were underneath of the throne. We saw them earlier in the book crying out, when will you avenge our death, Lord? He's avenging the death of the martyrs, of the people who were killed during the tribulation period. Notice the angels aren't questioning God. They're not saying, well, God, that's not fair. What about this person? What about the people over there? Instead, they're actually praising him. And they tell you why they're praising him. Because his judgments are true and righteous. It means they're right. It means they're fair. Righteous means upright. It means just. It means fair. It means equitable. You see, when we think of the judgment of God, we have to think it's fair. Nobody, nobody will ever get what they don't deserve when judged by the Lord. Nobody. The problem is we think that we're okay. What's the, what's, what's, the, what's the greatest religion, what's the most popular religion in the world today? It, it would be, if I'm a good person, I'll go to heaven, right? That would be, that's what most people outside of Christianity, and even some in Christianity, believe. If I'm a good person, I'll go to heaven. But that doesn't fix the bad parts of you. So you've, we, we've cooked up some idea in our mind of, if I'm a good person, I'm okay. But what about the bad parts? There's a bad part of me. There's a mistake I've made. There's sin in my life. See, we think because we feel better about ourselves, if I do more good, then I cancel out. It's like extra credit in school. I can just do extra work and I cancel out what's bad. Well, you ever told a lie? Yeah. You ever stole anything? Yeah. You ever broken a law or two or three or four or five? What about a speed limit? What about all the things? What what do we really do wrong if we were to really add them up? And we took out that, well, everybody does it. We took out the rationalization for it. What about where our mind goes? We took out all that stuff, and we really saw it the way God would see us? Wow. When we see it compared to perfection, when we see the standard, see, we like to make our own standard, and we always make it just a little bit below what we think so that we always meet the standard. But God's standard is perfection. God's standard is perfection. You see, the angels aren't questioning God. They're praising him because his judgments are true and righteous. There's no rationalization before God. No one will say, well, everyone else did it. Everyone else is going to hell with you. There's there's no minimization before God. Well, it was just a little white lie, God. It's still a lie. Because we like to classify things. Well, this is worse than that. You know, it's much worse to kill somebody than than to hate somebody. Well, that's not according to Jesus. It's not. Not according to what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you see what I'm saying? So here's what we need to write down for our notes. God's judgments are true and righteous. The Bible tells us that. So before we begin to question God and his judgment, we need to understand that they are true and they are righteous. He will judge fairly. He will judge equitably. The fourth bowl comes out. Verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. Power was given to him to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with great heat. And they blaspheme the name of God who has the power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. In Revelation chapter 8, we saw a third of the day did not shine. But this is different. The sun is literally scorching people. They're scorching. People are walking out of their homes dying because burning. Burning up. It's literally scorching people. And did you see the response it brings? Did you see what people did? Look at verse 9. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues. They blasphemed the name of God. Blasphemy means to slander, to revile, to defame. They did not repent. They blasphemed and they did not repent. The blasphemy of God can be the people's failing to acknowledge the existence of God or even blaming God. Let me say it again, blaspheming God, the blasphemy of God can be the people's failing to acknowledge the existence of God or even blaming God for it. How many times have you heard somebody blame God for something that's going on in their life? That could be blasphemy. Failure to acknowledge what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's testifying of Jesus Christ. So to reject what the Holy Spirit's testifying is blasphemy. But in this situation, Men are walking outside, they're being scorched, and rather than turning to repentance, how hot would it have to get for you to turn to repentance? Well, I don't know about you, but I don't like it very hot. I think at about 110 degrees, I'm ready to repent. That's not scorching. One commentator said this. He said, The wishful thinking of some that men would repent if they only knew the power and righteous judgment of God is shattered by frequent mention in this chapter of the hardness of the human heart in the face of the most stringent and evident divine discipline. Men won't repent. We think, if I saw that, if they saw that, then they would repent. No, it's not the case. Now, we have to pause briefly for a moment and say, God, are you enjoying this? And I mentioned it briefly last week, but there's this tendency to think that God's going, finally, I'm getting my revenge. Finally, I've had enough, and finally, I'm gonna gonna squish them like little ants. I'm gonna zap them. Do you think that's the heart of God during this? Not at all. As a matter of fact, I want to read this to you. In, uh, it says this. As I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? You see, the Lord's making it very clear. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It's not his desire that the wicked perish. He's provided a way of salvation. He wants them to come to him. He wants them to refrain from this. He doesn't want them to to perish, the unbeliever. So don't miss the heart of God. But he's just, so therefore he has to judge rightly. And if someone refuses the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ, what they're left to be judged for is their works. And they might have a stack of good works, but those aren't what's being judged. They're little works. They're bad works. Their sin is what's being judged, and it has to be judged. He can't just give an excuse. I mean, he can't just excuse them. He just can't pass it on, because that wouldn't be just, would it? Well, I like this one, so I'm going to let him or her go, but I don't like this one. He did really bad things, so I'm... No, that's not the way the Lord does it. It's got to be consistent. It's got to be just. But we don't like to think of ourselves as having evil in our life, do we? We like to think of ourselves as good people. We don't want to think of ourselves as bad. As I said before, we tend to rationalize, we tend to justify. We think things like, I'm not as bad as the person sitting next to me. I don't struggle with what he or she struggles with. It's not so bad. I, I, I mean, I'm, after all, I'm, working, I'm a working citizen. I, I have a job. I'm, I'm not that bad, am I? Paul said in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God all have sinned, all have fallen short. It's not about, am I better or worse than somebody else? We're all sinners. Well, I like to think I do nice things for people. I like, I do good works. I have some good works. And Rob, you said that I could, you you know, we're out there doing things. It makes me feel good about myself. Isaiah 64 says, we are like an unclean thing. All of our righteousness are like filthy rags. We're like an unclean thing, all of our righteous. But we don't want to hear that about ourselves. We want to think that we're, we're good, we're perfect. We don't make mistakes. We're not like everybody else. All the, the Christians have it all together. We don't make the mistakes the rest of the world makes, true? No, we're no different than anybody else. The only difference about being a Christian is we're covered with the blood of Jesus Christ and our sin's not being held against us. And we've made a decision to follow Christ for the rest of our life. But we're not. does it mean that when you become a Christian, you stop sinning? I don't know about you, but I haven't found that yet. If you have, come up here afterwards and pray for me because I need it. We're all sinners. But here's what happens. When we stand before the Lord God Almighty, who is true and righteous for our sins, we're going to say exactly what Isaiah said. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. That's what we want to hear, isn't it? That we're clean and we're pure, not because of the decisions that we make or the life that we can live. We're pure, we're we're righteous, we're clean because of what Christ did. Look at the fifth bowl. Verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness. They gnawed their tongues because of their pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and they did not repent of their deeds. No water, intense heat, covered in sores. Darkness comes upon the world, still not repenting. This bowl is directed toward the throne of the beast and his kingdom poured out on the throne of the beast. The pain has become so great they are literally gnawing at their tongues. Now, can you imagine what that feels like? You ever bite your tongue? It hurts, doesn't it? Then what happens for the next two days? You keep biting it and you keep biting. It hurts because now it's swollen. Can you imagine gnawing on your tongue trying to stop the pain? That's what's going on here. They're gnawing on their tongue because of the pain. They blaspheme God. They blaspheme God. They did not repent. Is it possible for your flesh to make your heart so hard that you would blame God? That you'd curse God because you are unwilling to repent of your sins? What's keeping them from repenting? Their flesh. Their desires. Their flesh. They're not willing to repent. They're not willing to give up and, and, and acknowledge the existence of a God. They're not willing to glorify him. Instead, what are they doing? They're blaming him. They're pointing the finger at him. There is nothing that aggravates me more than to hear somebody blame God for something going on in their life. To hear a Christian blaming God for something going, God, this is your fault. Really? Look back. You'll find that it's usually a result of sin in somebody's life. You'll find that people have made bad choices that bring bring about consequences. Remember, sin is that tangled web that affects everybody and everything around us. It's not God's fault. It's not God's fault the world, cancer in the world. It's God's fault, really? God, you think, well, God's allowing it. No, no, God turned the world over perfect. Sin has come into the world that's bringing these diseases. Sin is, well, why do children get hurt? Because of sin, because somebody's sinning when they're hurting the child. It's sin's fault, not God's fault. But, we're, but people are so quick to point at God and say, God, why, why are you doing this? And God's saying, I'm not doing that. I'm in the process of relieving that. I've made a way so that you don't have to live in sin. I've made a way so that you can repent. Matter of fact, I'm in the process of recreating the entire earth someday. Do you want to come on, on board with me? Or do you want to sit and point your finger at me? Be careful, as Christians, when it comes to sin, we have to be willing to look at our own life. We have to be look look at our life. What is it in your life? What is it that you're not willing to give up? What is it that you're holding on to that says I won't change this about myself because I like it? It makes me feel better. It's comfortable. It's fun. I enjoy it. Is it a lifestyle? A relationship? An addiction? An attitude? What are we not willing to forgive? I'm not going to give, I'm not going to change my speech because that's the way that I like it. I'm not going to forgive. Listen, it's, if you don't, it'll drag you down and lead you further and further away from Jesus. If you give it up, you will never regret it. Let me say that again. See, we have sin in our life and we have this battle do I live in it? And do I accept it? How much is okay? If you give that sin up, whatever it is, you'll never regret giving it up. You might be tempted to go back to it, but over the course of time, you'll look back and go, man, that was stupid. You'll never regret it, because he's a good father. And when he tells us to give these things up, to get away from these things, when he casts down the warnings, they're for a reason. When we read the warnings of God in the word of God, we need to adhere to them, even if we don't like them. Because you don't have to read very far in the Bible before you're going to find something that offends you. You're going to find something that you don't like but I still have an obligation as a follower of Christ if I've pledged my life to him to follow it, to believe it, and to live it to the best of my ability. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. And here's what I've come to find out. When you give one thing up, he's going to show you something else. You're going to give that up, and he's going to show you something else. You're going to give that up, and he's going to show you something else. Because there was a point in my life where I thought, Lord, if I can just get rid of this one thing in my life, then I'd be good. I'd be good. I could serve you. I could do whatever I wanted. And I did. And then he showed me two more things. And two more things. And a few more things. And then I realize the closer I get to the Lord, the more undone I realize I really am. The more human I realize I really am. The more that I look and I go, God, I can't wait to get rid of this flesh. I can't wait to get rid of this mind. I can't wait to be with you in heaven. I have to be willing to give it up, though. If I never give it up, I never experience the blessing of giving it up. Find somebody, find somebody that's given up some sin in their life and ask them, Do you want to go, is it worth going back to? They're always going to tell you no. They're going to tell you the sin brought pain. What does sin bring? He told us the wages of sin is death. But I don't want to give it up. I need it. I've got to have it. I've got to hold on to it. You're going to, why? Let it go. It's going to drag you down and lead you further and further away from the Lord. Look at the sixth bowl, verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, which is the devil, out of the mouth of the beast, which is the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For there are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and to the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And look at verse 15. Behold, Jesus says, behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches, keeps his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame, and they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Arm Armageddon. We see the following. The river Euphrates is dried up. It's a natural barrier between the east and the west. It's 1,800 miles long, and it serves as a natural defense anywhere from 3 to about 15 miles wide. The kings of the east, who are they? There's lots of different interpretations on who this is. There's a lot of people that have different opinions. It would seem, the the kings of the, some people think it's the kings of the rising sun, seems to be Asian, Oriental kings, including China, India, and Japan. Some people, there's, there's a whole bunch of different people that they put in here. Why are they doing this? They may be rebelling against the European Antichrist. The, the, the Asian nations may be coming against the, an Antichrist that's come up through Europe or through Rome. Notice it also talks about the evil spirits coming from the devil, the Antichrist, the false prophet. They'll convince the kings of the east, deceptively, to join forces and come to the Valley of Megiddo or the Battle of Armageddon. So what's taking place here in all this? Let me just kind of sum it up for you. The river Euphrates dries up, which would have a huge implication with the nations that are built around that. But it serves as a roadway to gather everybody to to do a a final world battle in the Valley of Megiddo or or near the hill of Megiddo. So it's a way of bringing all of the people together for what the Bible calls the final battle or the battle of Armageddon. It's where we read the bloodshed will be up to the horse's bridle, where there'll be thousands and thousands and thousands of people killed. And what we need to understand about this is this is a, this is a great deception that is taking place That where Satan, the false prophet, they're working in the hearts and the minds of the leaders of these different countries. They're bringing them together to possibly fight each other, but in reality, they're going to be coming against the Lord. They're coming against God. That's what the the ultimate battle is going to be. But notice this, in the midst of this final world battle, and we're only given a little bit of implication here, a little bit of information, in the midst of it, who's standing there that has some words to say? Jesus. What did Jesus say? He said, behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed. Blessed. How could you be blessed in this situation? Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. In the approaching the final days of this earth before it is destroyed, here's Jesus saying, you can still be blessed. You can still be blessed. He hasn't turned his back. You can still be blessed. If you'll keep your garments of righteousness. If you'll keep your garments, don't become naked. Keep your garments in me. He's still there giving an opportunity for people to believe on him. In the final battle as it's approaching, You see, those kings might think they're doing battle against each other in that valley. But in fact, they're going to be doing battle against the Lord. And it was Napoleon, when he moved through that valley, that he said, what a great place for the final battle of the earth to take place. He recorded it in in history for us. So here's what we see taking place. In the midst of the final judgments on the earth, there is one last cry, one last warning And Jesus is still present with a final warning to watch and stay clothed with the garments of righteousness. A promise of blessing is still present. Isn't that amazing? We're all the way through, almost done. The sixth bowl is done. The seventh bowl is going to be the destruction. And there's still a promise of blessing. God, why are you doing this? You're you're being so mean. He's going, no, no, I'm still here. Come after me. It's not too late. But men continually... Turn back and blaspheme God and fail to repent. Look at the final bowl in verse 17. Seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came on the temple of heaven and from the throne saying, It is done. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and there was a great earthquake. Such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts. That's Jerusalem, by the way. And the cities of the nations fell. The great Babylon was remembered before God to give her cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away. The mountains were not found. Great hail from heaven fell upon men. Each hailstone about the weight of a talent. That's 100 pounds in Hebrew. About 56 pounds in the Roman so somewhere between 50 and 100 pounds. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail since that plague was exceedingly great. The final bowl is poured out. There's a worldwide earthquake. It is done. No more judgment upon the earth. The fall of Babylon, that's the great, the, the, the great city, is, will be talked about in the coming chapters in chapters 17 and 18. Here it's enough to say that God gives her the cup Of the wine, of the fierceness of his wrath. We'll talk more about Babylon in the coming weeks. With the final final judgment of God, men are continuing to blaspheme, failing to repent. Interestingly enough, in the Old Testament, do you remember the punishment for blasphemy? It was stoning. So what do we see happening here? Stoning, hailstones, 100 pounds falling from heaven. That reference is in Leviticus 24, verse 16. Judgment is coming, but the blasphemy of God continues, but we don't have to be a part of it. We don't need to be a part of it. Let me summarize it for us this way. If we disregard the warnings of God found in his word, it will always bring pain in my life. I need to understand the principle that my sin doesn't affect just me. It affects everything and everyone around me. I need to know that God's judgments are true and righteous. I know that the blasphemy of God can be the people's failing to acknowledge the existence of God or even blaming God for what's going on. In the midst of the final judgments on earth, there's one last cry. Jesus is still present, still warning. A final warning to watch and stay clothed with the garments of righteousness. A promise of blessing is still present right up till the very end right up to the very end. Judgment is coming. The blasphemy of God will continue, but we don't have to be a part of it. How do we escape all this? It's easy. Believe on Jesus Christ. It's not just saying a prayer because I don't think that necessarily makes you saved. It's making a decision to give Christ the rest of my life. It's making to set my mind like Christ's mind. So when the Bible says that this is wrong, I agree with it. I go with what God says, not with what I think. I go with what God says, not with what popular culture thinks. I go with what God says, not what my government says. And if they're in contrast, I'll stand on what God says every time and endure the consequences. You see, here's what the men on the earth were failing to do. They failed to recognize their sin as sin. They figured everybody else was doing it. They failed to recognize the Lord and to give him glory. There is no God, right? Isn't that what they can say? There's no God. I don't believe in God. He doesn't exist. I'm not recognizing God. They failed to repent of their sins. And they failed to receive the garments of righteousness that only Jesus Christ can provide. So therefore they will endure the judgment of God. Endure the wrath of God. We don't have to be a part of this as Christians. But what we need to understand when we come to chapters like this, nobody else has to be a part of this either. I don't have to be a part of it. You don't have to be a part of it. Well, how do I get out of it? It's a choice that we make. I can choose to do things God's way and follow the Lord, or I can choose to do things my way or the world's way or man's way, and judgment will come. But what we can never say is we were never told. We were never warned. God, you didn't tell me this. Yes, he did. He told us this morning. It's here in the word. How many Bibles do we have in our house? I didn't read that book. Well, you should have. Remember, it says this, it tells us earlier in the book of Revelation that the church of Philadelphia will be kept from the hour of tribulation. The hour of great tribulation. The church of Philadelphia, that's the believers, that's the, lo- the church of brotherly love. The believers are going to be kept from this hour of tribulation. The righteous are removed before the judgment of God is cast down. We saw that in Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham said, will you judge it if there's 50 righteous? No, 40, no, 30, no, 20, no. And he removed the only two righteous, which were Lot and his wife, and she looked back and became a pillar of salt and his kids. The only true righteous were removed. As believers, when we look at this, it shouldn't make you scared. It should break your heart. Because when we look at this, we think, I think there's people that are going to endure this. That don't have to endure this. There's family and friends that if they don't believe on Jesus Christ, they're going to endure this. Well, Rob, when's it all going to happen? I don't know. Well, can't you give me a date? I can't. Lots of people have tried. They've all been wrong. Well, is it soon? Well, Paul thought it was soon. And, it's too, and he was almost 2,000 years ago. It's closer today than it was when Paul thought it was. Has to be. The truth is it could be Tonight. Or it could be another thousand years. When we look at what's going on in the Middle East, Bible scholars suggest that it, very, it could be very soon. If you've noticed in the book of Revelation, I've refrained from speculation. Because there's a lot of speculation on who's doing what, which country this is, which country that is. And you can get really crazy in it if you're not careful. And we'll get into some of it next week. But I've tried to give you the overview of what's taking place. Because where the opinions come in is when they try to figure out who. Are these kings from the east well i think it could be this person or that country or this country and you can lose the overview of what what god's trying to tell us what's he telling us the overview real short judgment's coming but you don't have to be part of it because standing in the midst of the judgment is a savior jesus christ that says you can be blessed if you'll just believe on me amen father lord we like to think of you as loving forgiving caring gracious But Lord, to know who you really are, we have to know that you're just, that you're a judge. And Lord, while that might be hard for us to understand, may our faith carry us through, knowing that your judgments are just and they're true. Father, may this section of Scripture, this what's coming upon the earth, may it motivate us to share your word, to share with others those that we love and that we care about. Lord, we should be radical for our faith. We have a cure for a disease that's plaguing all of mankind. Or would you give us boldness this week to share Christ and the forgiveness of sins? In Jesus' name, amen.